before we get into the show, I want to tell you about HubSpot for startups. If you are an early stage startup and you're trying to grow, you have to check out our HubSpot for startups program. You can get up to 90% off your first year of your HubSpot subscription. Plus, you will get access to incredible education and events. With HubSpot, you can run your entire startup from marketing sales and customer success all on HubSpot. You can increase your leads, boost revenue, and improve your customer experience. HubSpot for startups help you do it all. Plus, you will get 24-7 customer support and integrations with more than 1,500 of today's most popular apps. HubSpot is trusted by some of the most successful startups and more than 200,000 companies around the world. To see if you're eligible to join the HubSpot for Startups program and take your growth to the next level, visit HubSpot.com startups. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. I'm your host, Kit Bodner, CMO at HubSpot. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, the CMO over at Zapier. And we have a very, very special guest. Today, we are joined by Lenny Rachitsky. And Lenny is the host of Lenny's podcast. He is the author of Lenny's newsletter. He is one of the foremost experts on product and growth in the world, to me at least. I love his content. We've been wanting to have Lenny on for a long time. Lenny, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Quite the intro. Really appreciate it. <laughs> you deserve that kind of an intro. Are you serious? <laughs> the, you've got one of the top business podcasts in the world. You've got this incredible newsletter and you've built on some amazing experience in product and growth and are now taking that out to the world and teaching everybody. So we're excited to have you here with us today. And I know there's a bunch of places we want to go. Kieran, I, I want to kick it over to you so that you can kind of kick things off in, the, in our discussion today. Lenny, you have an incredible background. I know we've talked before and you may want to give the audience some context of you know your kind of journey in tech or at least at Airbnb. The thing we would really love to start on is in relation to that, what if anything has been different or the same about growing like a content audience, an audience for content mediums, and that you managed to bring some of those learnings from Airbnb into what you're doing today? Like, I'm really interested in how the stuff that you used to do translates to what you do today. I think what's most interesting is it's very few things translate. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I led supply growth at Airbnb for a long time. And then I led the team that helped the booking experience help it help you book on Airbnb. So basically optimizing conversion. And so I spent a lot of time on growth. But interestingly, what I found with the newsletter and with the podcast is nothing helps it grow other than just consistency and quality of content. Mm -hmm. No hacks? You no. Know, like <laughs> once in a while, there's a couple spikes here and there, but there's no nothing like sustainable helps it grow other than just consistently putting out good stuff. Like, like I was just going to say, I tried referrals, I tried paid ads. I tried guest posts and those that helped early on. There's a few things that help early on just kind of get, get it kickstarted. But if you just look at like the trend line of growth, nothing makes a dent other than just keeping at it and keeping the quality bar high. Can I say one thing that I do think I've been like a consumer of your content? And so, yeah. you know, obviously one thing that helps is that you are in that space and you are very well regarded within that space, which does help you get the kind of people onto your podcast and maybe get people, you know, interact with your content. But the thing that I think stuck out in terms of your content early on was how you included these kind of mini case studies, right? You just put out a post on inflection points mm -hmm. and it's all real world stories and it's case studies, like, but they're miniature case studies. It's not like this, like, 24 page case study on how Facebook did this. It's like these kind of quick hits of all of the things that companies did around a singular topic. So 
do you kind of agree that helped to differentiate you? And if so, was that on purpose or you kind of just stumbled upon that? Like, was that a very thoughtful, like, I'm going to try this as an experiment or just like, I'm going to do this because I want to do it. So with questions like that, Seinfeld has this funny thing that people ask him, like people are like, hey, Jerry Seinfeld, why don't you like do other types of comedy? Like, why'd you like, how'd you narrate on this thing that you do? And he's like, this is all I know how to do. Like if I could do other things, <laughs> I would do other things. And so with that post and a lot of posts, like if I had the answer, I'd be like, here's the answer. I've got yeah. it, but I just don't. And so it comes out of like, I just want to get you the best possible answer. Let me go research and ask people that actually know what they're doing. Mm. Where it actually started the first time I did that, I left Airbnb. I was there a long time. People kept asking me all these questions about how to build a marketplace company. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, here's like what Airbnb did, but I don't know if that's the way to do it. Maybe there's other things that could have worked. Maybe there's things we did that worked in spite of ourselves. And so what I did is I embarked on this big research project. Let me just talk to all the biggest marketplace companies and see what they did and see if there's any patterns that emerge across all marketplace companies. And that turned into this five-part series of how to kickstart and scale marketplace business. And that did really well. So I kind of learned from that experience of, that's a really good way of doing it. I'm just kind of doing primary research on behalf of people. And it's like very low cost for them. And I spent all this time doing the work and I could see why it's valuable yeah. because I've done a lot of work for people. That's what I want to get into. Like one of the things you said is like keeping the quality bar high, right? And I think Kieran, you and I and doing this show, we've learned that stories, examples, data, and, and more importantly, just to your, what you were saying, Lenny, research matters so much. It's like, oh, you have this unique perspective and insight that has real depth to it. That's what really resonates with people. But somehow, Lenny, you do that constantly. And I, that's what I don't <laughs> understand is like you, between the newsletter and the podcast, you have this like unending flow of it. And as somebody who's doing it right now, it's very hard, but it takes a lot of time. Like, how are you pulling it off? The secret is lots of hard work and many hours of, of work. One of the advantages I have, unlike you two, is you have full-time jobs. This is true. I don't. So there's this kind of like cool flywheel that kicks in once you get to a point where you could do this full-time is you just have a lot more time than anyone else. And I find a really direct correlation between the amount of time I put into something and the success of that piece. So the secret is just putting in time and the things that you find useful, usually the person spent more time on that than somebody else that tried to do that and not nearly as well. Well, while I agree with you on the time part, the other part of that is like what you pick to spend that time mm. on. Because like there are a lot of people who put a lot of time in and pick bad stuff. Yeah, okay, I do have a trick. That doesn't resonate with people. Do have a trick so there. I'd love to hear how you pick the stuff. The way I pick the stuff, and I didn't think about it this way, but it ended up being really powerful, is I started the newsletter as an advice column, mm. like a Dear Abby type thing, where mm -hmm. people send me questions and I answer their question. And what turns out is smart about that is that the content is rooted in a real problem somebody actually mm. has, not yeah. just me pontificating on something that may be a thing. So that helps a lot is just like rooting your work on like, what does somebody actually need? And that kind of comes back to it. One of the most important parts of writing and content is you, there's like a job to be done that you need to nail better than somebody else. So if you think about newsletters, what are the jobs to be done? There's like entertain me. So there's a lot of newsletters and podcasts of just like fun stuff and humor and jokes and comics. Another job to be done is help to make money. There's a lot of newsletters that help you invest in Bitcoin timing and stuff, stuff like that. There's a job to be done of just help me be better in life. So there's like Emily Oster and like, you just like practical advice stuff. Another job to be done, which I'm in is just, I want to be better at work. And so what are ways I can help you be better at work? For me, it's like help you build better product, grow product. You know, there's all kinds of work. So there's like a lot of opportunities, like help salespeople be better salespeople, help engineers be better engineers. So there's a lot of like niches within that. But I think it's really important you figure out what's the job you're doing for someone and then just do that better than anyone else that's doing it out there. And the key there is just putting in the time. 
which does speak to your background and product, right? Like you approached everything yeah. from, you know, a job to be done, a problem to be solved. Maybe, yeah. yeah I was going to say, that you, you said there wasn't that much transferable. That is definitely a pure rip out of the product okay, world. There's one. We got one. The other thing I'm obsessed by is like, for people who have like reached your kind of success, how much of it is like very thoughtful? Because when you were in Airbnb, I, I assume like part of leading the growth team is hypothesis, iteration, test and experiment, trying to find the thing. And like how much of a creator's success is stumbling upon the thing versus like being very intentful about that is the thing. And it sounds like maybe it's part and part, like you did go through a process when you were like, okay, well, here are the jobs to be done. Here's one that I can solve and I can solve it. I feel I can solve it in a better way. But then there's like a little bit of stumbling and hopefully this is going to be the thing that resonates. Yeah. So to be clear, I wasn't actually like, what are the jobs to be done and what job can I do for people that it, that's like looking back, I could see yeah. why it worked oh, okay. out. It was 90% stumbling and more specifically. So I left Airbnb. I was there for seven years. I worked like intense hours. It was just like a yeah. go, go, go culture for a long time. And I was just like, man, I'm, I'm going to just take a break. And my plan was, let me start a company again. Maybe let me explore some ideas I had, maybe do advising on the side as a thing, maybe join a company, just like here's some options I'm thinking about. And the thing I stuck to is let me pay attention to what gives me energy in this phase mm. and do more of that. Just like lean into that when I get energy from something, like I have a meeting with someone, did I get energy from that or did that suck? And, and if something <laughs> sapped me of energy, I did less of that. That was kind of my rule. And I just found that writing gave me energy. And so I spent more time doing that. And the startup stuff didn't. And other things and advising did. And I was just like doing advising calls. Like, I don't want this is sapping me of all my energy. So most of it was just leading into what was giving me energy. And then I had this conversation with a friend about, hey, I thought I wanted to start a company, but I'm doing this writing thing on the side. What the hell am I doing writing? There's, not, there's no future here. And my wife's like, why are you writing? There's no future in writing. Because, you know, she would publish some books. Like, there's nothing. Nothing comes of this on the internet. Writing on the internet. You're like, you're just wasting your time. Like, yeah. Come on. She's like, I thought you wanted to start a company. Get a real job. Exactly. And, but this friend had a great point, like you enjoy doing this. People seem to value it, which is super rare that you do a thing that people value and find want to keep reading. That's like very rare. And his advice was don't take that for granted. Like maybe see where that goes. Even if there's no future there, just double down on that. Maybe, maybe it'll lead somewhere. And so that's what pulled me down that road is just like, this is working. Maybe just maybe explore it. And so I just kind of kept doing that and ended up continuing to grow mostly by just continuing to do it. So it was, it was a lot of stumbling. Like I hadn't written much on the internet before I started down this path. Well, when you came from a product background, which there's some writing, but it's not like... Right, not public writing. Yeah, you're not writing every day as, as a product leader. And yeah. so clearly that was something that like resonated with you as a, a way to spend your time. I mean, Kieran, I've talked about this on a past episode with Dickie Bush, where it's like, it is the best way to organize mm -hmm. your thoughts and learn something is to write. That's exactly what started me. Like, yeah, I just wanted, like the reason I wrote the thing, first thing I wrote, which I ended up doing shockingly well, which helped me keep motivated, is I just wanted to remember what I learned yes. at Airbnb. Yeah. So my first thing that I wrote was like, what seven years at Airbnb taught me about building a company? Just because I was thinking I'd start a company and I'm like, okay, I don't want to relearn everything. What the hell did I actually <laughs> learn? Let me just sit down and write this down. And that's exactly like, there's this quote I'm sure you've heard of just like, I don't know what I think until I've written it down. Yes. And I fully feel that. <laughs> yeah. And when people are talking to me, like it's interesting, right? Because I'm going through onboarding, like employee onboarding for my first time in a long, long time. And when I'm in a meeting and like learning about things and people are talking to me, I kind of like somewhat understand it, but I actually need to write it out in some sort of like strategic memo or a two pager. And then I kind of internalize it and it makes sense to me. And I think it's an incredible skill that people underestimate that, you know, it does no matter what discipline you do within the company, 
writing is such like an intrinsic part of how you communicate in today's world, especially when we're gravitating much more towards remote work. Like actually writing is how you communicate anything within a company and it's a real skill to be learned. So I think I agree. Like, I think it's a great way to internalize your your learnings. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at like that post you mentioned about growth inflections. Like I imagine many people think I already have the answer as I start writing, like here's the answer to how to, what causes an inflection growth, but it's the opposite. I start just like dumping thoughts into a doc getting quotes, talking to people, and that forms my the conclusion. Like that comes yeah. after I start writing. The writing helps me get there versus I come into it thinking, here's the answer. Yeah, like the magic of it is like the summarization and the framing. It's like, yeah. oh, I, I know that I want to answer this question, but I don't know what the most important parts are. I've got 10 really important things, but I know that there are three that are like the most important. I need to figure those out. And like right. that's the, the blend of the art and science of that. And, and so I, I kind of get the natural progression of how you got to writing and the ritual of the newsletter and getting there kind of recurring. How the hell did you like then say, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to do a podcast that's even harder. It's even harder to get out into the world. It has way more logistics. It's not just me sitting in a room writing. I've got to like have all of these conversations and scheduling and everything. Like why? So I may not feel like this on the outside, but I'm trying to like keep it chill and not do a lot. So I've had these like things I should do, write a book start a podcast, run a course. And I've always like, I will never do any of these. I just like the newsletter life is really good. Like I just write an awesome email once a week and I make a meaningful income, like much more than I made at Airbnb. And so I'm like, why would I do anything more? This is great. Yeah. Sounds awesome to me. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. And so, and so I've avoided all those things for a long time. But with the podcast, I did a Harry Stebbings' podcast, 20 BC yeah. at one point. And at the end of the recording, he's like, Lenny, you idiot. You should be doing a podcast. You're you're good at this. You have things to say. There's a lot of opportunity in podcasting. He's like, you should do a podcast. So so that's actually what got me over the hump. Like Harry Stebbings telling me you should do a podcast. And it was like years and years of me just like, no, I will never do a podcast. There's so many podcasts. What the hell would I add to it? And then I just started trying it. You know, I just started doing it. Actually, it turns out it's a lot easier than the newsletter, to be honest. Oh, really? How yeah. so? So the newsletter, like the simple way to think about it with the newsletter, I have to come up with unique, interesting insights and write them out and craft them in a consumable way. Podcast, I just, I extract that from someone else's brain, like you guys are doing here. <laughs> and so like, you know, it takes like maybe three, four hours per episode of prep and recording and I have a producer that helps edit it. Mm -hmm. The newsletter takes like 10 hours minimum per post, some 20, some 100. Wow. It's also, podcast is easier. It's more lucrative, it turns out. And it, it's a little more energizing, you know, this is like fun. And it's like the end of it, you feel kind of cool. You did this whole thing. <laughs> you get to see humans. Like, but I will say the podcast, like a lot of stuff I did, it turns out to be smart looking back. It's easier to grow the podcast with the newsletter. Yes. Yeah. Every episode I share with my audience, which is large yeah. now. So I think the right order is build an awesome newsletter and then launch a podcast. It's harder, I think, I think the other way around. Yeah. Podcast is a great add-on to engage existing audience. It is definitely a hard like front door to build, which is like first way to build that medium. Hopefully it's not too bad jumping around. Like one thing I'm really curious about that just coming back to news there just for, for one moment is, yeah. and it kind of ties really nicely to your latest post. If anyone wants to go read it, some inflection points. Like I'm curious, like how quickly you got to the inflection point where you were like, oh, like this could be a business, right? Because one of the things you mentioned is perseverance. Right. And perseverance is a really yeah. underrated skill because everyone's looking like I started off looking for the hacks. It was like, well, if anyone can give me the hacks, then he can give me the hacks because like he's, he has growth totally. principles baked into the work he does. And I was like, no, like consistency and perseverance. And so how long did you have to have that kind of perseverance for until you saw some sort of inflection point where like, wow, like I could actually tell my wife 
this could be a business, right? Like, yeah. I can, I'm actually doing something real here. We'll be right back. But let me tell you about a podcast from our network. Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes, exploring the psychology of influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the art of intelligence, this episode is hacked with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. Actually, when I started the newsletter, I actually called it Project Avoid Getting a Real Job. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the goal. Like, can I make enough money? Can I make more salary than I made in salary at Airbnb? That was like, initially, actually, the goal was, can I make 100K a year? Because that's like, wow, holy sh**, year, 100K from writing a thing once a week. And then I set that goal to 300K and then it's gone far beyond that. So there is actually a couple of hacks. I wouldn't call them hacks, but that have led to large, to some inflections. So early on, the way I got my, say, first hundred subscribers is I wrote a popular thing on Medium and that got me some followers on Medium and that turned into Twitter followers. And I started tweeting nuggets from that post on Twitter and that started building a Twitter audience. So there's kind of like a flywheel of Twitter and Medium. So that got me about a about hundred subscribers. This is like one of the examples of, I wouldn't call it a hack, but it led to a spurt is doing guest posts on other newsletters with the same audience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, I got the next thousand subscribers by doing a guest post on the first round review mm-hmm. and also yep. Andrew Chen's blog. Yep. And so those helped a lot. That was just me getting started. And the key there was like, I had interesting things to say and they wanted to share it. So that was the key. So it comes back to quality again. So that got me to the first thousand subscribers. Then to get to the next 10,000, was just writing every week for nine months, just keeping at it. And it's just, if you look at the growth chart, it's just linear growth through those nine months. So then I was about 10,000 subscribers and that's when COVID hit and I was making no money for a year. Airbnb stock was like dead. <laughs> which I was relying I feel on. like I'd like some money now, please. <laughs> yeah, like I, I assumed I could do this because I had some savings in Airbnb stock that one day would IPO and it was not looking good. They had to like take this massive $2 billion loan and it was just like not... Like travel was going to not happen again, maybe. So I got really worried. And so that's when I actually launched the paid plan. I was like, okay, project avoid getting a real job. Let's do this for real. Let's see if I can make money (laughs) doing this. And so I launched the paid plan about nine months after I started writing. And it it did like, okay, initially, but basically just doing that for another year, two years every week helped it continue to grow and kept growing, growing across 300K. So then the actual next big inflection came actually fairly recently where Substack launched this feature where you can refer other newsletters. You can mm. recommend other, other mm. newsletters, which seems like a really simple, non no big deal feature. But it turns out a lot of newsletters are recommending my newsletter. So when you sign up for my newsletter, you get recommended 10 newsletters that I love and I pick them. And so there's this like really cool network effect that's happening now 
So about a thousand other newsletters recommend my newsletter. Wow. And so as soon as they launch that feature, I just have this like hockey stick of growth that's happening and it's still happening. And I think I'm in the onboarding flow when you sign up because I'm the number one business newsletter. You kind of get recommended my newsletter. So there's never been an easier time to grow a large newsletter because of that one feature. If you write awesome stuff and people recommend you, you can grow really quickly now. I remember back in the day, the problem to solve for their audience was distribution because newsletters somewhat like podcasts are... Most of the newsletters, and Kip and I talked to all of the big newsletters when we went through the kind of research phase of trying to buy the hustle. Like they're predominantly all paid advertising in some respects because mm-hmm. there's no like one built-in core mechanism to like grow those. And so they really did nail that, it sounds like Substack. Did those thousand newsletters get any type of affiliate commission for recommending you? Like, Nope. They, it's just, they just do it organically? Yeah. It's just like, what wow. do you think is awesome? And yeah, it's just like, what do you think is great for people to read? And, and it feels nice to recommend great stuff. That's it. Yeah. I, you know, I tried referrals and it doesn't work. Like it's, I think for some newsletter work, obviously Morning Brew and stuff like that. But I think if it's, I think it has to be a certain personality of a newsletter for it to be like, send this to all your friends, get yeah. a hat, get a, yeah, yeah. get stickers, you know, it's a different. Well, it, needs yeah. to, it needs to be more, you know, higher altitude yeah. versus the depth that you go to in your newsletter, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Because the thing I was going to ask actually, and you kind of maybe answered it with Substack, and I'm interested what both of you think is, if you were going to go down that original path and you started a company, the thing you were going to have to really think about and most founders do is like defensibility. Mm-hmm. Like how is this like thing defensible? How about not be commoditized? And what's interesting in content is the feedback loops are really quick. Like Kip and I talk about this where you see someone has figured out like threads on Twitter and then like everyone does threads on Twitter, right? Or if someone figures out like posting is a thing and then everyone <laughs> is posting, right? <laughs> and so everyone can replicate things much faster because the barrier to entry is much lower. And I was going to ask you like, as a founder of a content brand, like how do you think about defensibility? But maybe your defensibility is, well, I've got inserted into the Substack, you know, framework. And so it's going to be really hard for anyone to replicate that. On the one hand, I don't really think about that. I think if you just keep providing valuable stuff to people, they're going to keep wanting it. So I think the question is, will someone come around that does much better than I at the same thing? Like, I'm not that smart. People have more time. They have more experience. <laughs> it could definitely happen. 100%. But I will say, I don't like I don't know why it hasn't happened, honestly. I have found a lot of people are modeling their newsletters now after my newsletter. Like I see welcome emails just like completely copied my welcome emails. <laughs> There's a lot of like advice column style newsletters, exactly like I like the intros are the same. So there's a lot of like, you know, it's the sincerest form of flattery. People modeling the approach. No one's come like right out exactly what I'm doing yet. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Obviously, I have a head start. I don't think about it too much, but it could definitely happen. I don't think there's much of a moat, you know? Let's talk about that, though, because I think your moat is, you know, the grind that you've done, obviously. But then it's also like that quality of content, like that taste and knowledge, which you have on the mm-hmm. core subject area. And you've talked about it a lot on the show so far. But I guess I'd love to take a trip inside your head. Like, what are the questions you ask yourself to know if something is meeting your bar that it's like, it's really great. And like, this is going to be something that is valuable in the world and to be more valuable than anybody else could do this week. And subsequently, I I feel great about it. Like, I wish I had like a formula of like, here's what I look for. A lot of it comes down to, I just look at it again and again and again. Like most of my writing is just editing. I start with just like a bunch of content and writing and bullet points, and then I form it into something. And then I just look at it like a hundred times as I keep reviewing and editing. I email it to myself. I look at it on my phone. And I basically get to a point where I just feel like this is strong enough and there's nothing I can cut and there's nothing that's just like consistently confusing me. And that's kind of the core of it. I just look at it a thousand times and keep looking and looking and looking and what can I cut? 
There's this book that's been really influential in my writing called On Writing Well. Oh yeah, Darmesh loves that book too. Basically, it's just cut everything is the conclusion. Just cut, cut, <laughs> cut, cut, cut. And it's like a hundred chapters on all the things you should cut. So that actually had a big impact on me. And I just kind of look for that. Like what is not necessary? And then how do I just tighten and simplify and bullet point it and charts and table it? So that's the core of it. Like, you know, I try to find like ways to engage people in the beginning, like make it a surprise or make it an interesting or story at the beginning. That's what I'm trying to work on a little bit is like actual writing, writing, not just here's content information, but mostly it's just looking at a thousand times. And that comes back to the time. Like I just have the time to do that. And I think that's what makes it better. Yeah. So you've really, your bar of quality is like, oh, I have a feedback loop of topics that people want because of the format I'm, I'm doing this thing in. I then have a research process that I go and validate that topic through, through my own first party research, talking to people. And then you're like, I try to be a ruthless editor and break that down and make it the best, clearest, most simple distillation of that solution. Like I remember having a college journalism professor, he was like, go through and underline every just and every very, Mm -hmm. and then cross them all out. (laughs) You know, like get rid of like all these things that don't do anything. And you're saying like, that's a really important part of just getting the idea as tight as possible. Yeah. So let's look at the example of that growth inflections post, which is super recent. So the question there was, what causes an inflection in growth? And what I do with those is I think about what are the companies I would love to get insights from and stories of, like what helped them grow? Mm -hmm. So the way I start there is just make a list. Here's the companies I would love to capture stories from. And then I just go email people that I know at these companies. And what's cool, another flywheel that kicks in with this is the more of this I do, the more connections I've built, more companies I'm close with. So I just kind of email these people and I try not to bug them too much, but often people are excited to, you know, contribute. So I just sent an email. Here's my question. What do you, what can you share? And then I just capture all those and see what comes out of it. That's roughly the approach. I think that is like understated and how powerful it is. Like there's a, you you and I talked about this, right? Brought it up in the last podcast, Kip. There's a Twitter handle where there's a sales community and they tweet like real stats from that sales community and the sales community, it's anonymous. So I don't actually know because they do tweet things that you can't really share as a public company, (laughs) but but whatever, but whatever. It's really like, it's, but it's anonymized and it's aggregated, right? But being able to get like, you know, the look behind the scenes, there's kind of two ways I think about your content. First of all, like you described it, like I'm learning, like you you put, when you're putting a case together, like you're the curious learner, it's kind of learning on their behalf and you're framing it up in a really like interesting way. And then you're actually able to help take people behind the scenes. Like they feel like an insider, right? Oh, like I'm an insider. I get all of the kind of hot stuff. If you, if you actually pay to your for your pay subscription, you're kind of like the insider now. And I know you actually have a, a huge community as well mm-hmm. as part of that. And so I think there's like something in that, like that there's like core mm. things that really make that content much more powerful than the, just the average post you're going to actually read. Even more basically, like I'm just doing a lot of work for people that would totally. cost a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm just creating a crap yeah. ton of value, guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, that I'm hard. Just, yeah, just spending tens of hours doing yeah. answering a question for you. And it's like not that expensive to get the answer. Well, but so uh, building on that though, like that makes total sense for the newsletter, but it's very different when you're doing the podcast, mm. right? Like, because you're, you're having this real-time interaction. You're trying to pull the right things out. You don't control what the other person's going to say. So yeah. like, you know, what does Lenny know today that he didn't know when he started the podcast about how to actually do those things really well? Like get the best information from people. So when I've just like upgraded the the look of the podcast, like I look back at my first episodes, I was just like so frumpy and funny looking. It was like <laughs> very basic look. So there's the look of it. I think mostly it's just working on the interview techniques and continuing to follow up on questions where someone has a really vague answer mm-hmm. is a 
big part of it. Same with the newsletter. Like I just tried to get to like mm. real concrete stuff, not just like here's a general theory I have on yeah. something. Keep diving. The five wise. Just keep diving. Mm. And then I can cut stuff that doesn't work. So that's a big part of it. Part of it is just vetting guests a little bit better. Like, you know, some guests come on and they don't actually know as much as you think. And so trying to get to that a little bit earlier. I don't know. It's all the interview technique is kind of what I find. Just like not having to like respond to every answer someone gives and just like on to the next question, on to the next question. People, you know, people don't want you to be like, awesome, great. That was so interesting. You know, it's just like, okay, <laughs> no, no, tell don't. me something else. Sometimes it's like fun, you know, it's a balance. So it's a lot of interview. And I try to watch my interviews and try to like see what's annoying and dumb. Yeah, we do interview. the same thing. It's painful to watch yourself so that painful. much. It is. It I like sucks, it. right? I love that. It's like, that's the downside of starting a podcast. You have to like listen to yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you say you love it? Oh, I can't get enough of myself on... <laughs> So when I, I can watch, watch myself on my, on my, I watch myself on my big screen, the AI wars. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm on YouTube with all these other people. <laughs> I mean, if I had a, to Lindy's point, if I had a dope Come sweater on. like you're if wearing, you had, the, you the YouTubers hate your sweater. It's not this one. You keep, you keep getting confused. If you like or hate the sweater, comment on YouTube right but now. Hey, I would love to actually hear how you vet guests. Because that could be kind of like, do you, you don't, you don't like bring them on for initial conversation and say, I don't. no, no, I'm not bringing you back because you suck. Like how, you just vet them up front without them knowing. I'm trying to rely more on referrals from other guests that I've had that are awesome. So that yeah, helps that's a lot. A, mm. Yeah. And then watching their other talks and videos helps a lot. Just like, what do they got to say? That kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, you never know until you actually talk to someone. Are there some interviews you just don't use? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Everything's okay. been that's good. good enough. So you've done the newsletter, you have a community, you have a podcast. Let's say you had infinite time and infinite resources or, or you just had the motivation to do it. Yeah. What is the other thing you would like to do? Like as a creator that you were not doing, like what's the thing that you think would, when you apply that energy, would make you feel the same sort of way as you do with the newsletter and podcast? This wouldn't make me feel in the same way, but I think I would do a book. Is I think what you I would have to do. do a book, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's so painful. It's so much work. It's so, so much work, especially the topic you're going to do it on and how much information you already have put in it. Be yeah. But you got to do it. We all want it. One day. The, you got to give the people what they want. <laughs> I guess. Uh, I think they'll all get smarter and it'll be better the longer I wait. That's how I tell myself. <laughs> can I can I say that about everything? Is that, can, is that a new <laughs> procrastination hack that I can use no, for my own life? You take it. But seriously, what's the hold up in doing a book? Just the workload that it's going to... My wife actually has published a couple of books and I've, I see the process. It's so hard. It's just like, you know, it's like a year of intense work. You yeah. don't make much from it. You know, maybe when 0.1% of people make some from it, it's just the workload. I like, life's good. You know, like I talked about the newsletter, like why would I want to <laughs> bash my head against the wall for a year? But I think I'll probably do it at some point. I just, I don't think it's time yet. Why can't you do a book that's just a collection of the newsletters that's that what I think all that's of us the, dorks would love to just like have on the shelf behind us, you know? Tim Ferriss did that, right? I think though, that's the mistake people make. They think it's going to be that easy if they have a yeah. bunch of content and just like, oh, let's throw it yeah. together. But it never is. If you want to make it awesome, like I have a high bar and de I'm very detail oriented about this stuff. So I just want to make it super awesome. And it was just suck up my life. Yeah. Okay. So, so I got to ask you my favorite question for detail oriented people. It's like, how do you know when to stop? Like, how do you know, like you're, you're editing that newsletter and you were just like pounding your head against the wall. Like, how do you know, like, okay, we're good here. I, I'm going to stop and move on to the next one. I think very concretely, it's when I don't find anything else to tweak when I look at it. So okay. I look at it. I'm like, okay, let's fix this, fix that. And then come back to it later in the day, look at it. Okay, maybe there's what title I can make a little better. And when I find that there's just nothing I'm changing, that tells me it's ready to go. And, you know, it could always be better, but, you know, I'm publishing once a week and people aren't paying me like $100,000, like 150 bucks a year. Like it's not going to be, 
perfect, perfect at forever. But it's mostly when I'm not changing something. That's the, yeah. the sign to me. Follow up to that is like, you've worked really hard to build all this stuff. And you you were like, yeah, this operation, not start a business. And you kind of now ended up with a business. You're, you're, you're making stuff. But what are the unattended positive consequences of all this? Like, what are the really good things that have happened that you're like, I didn't expect this, but like my life is way better because of like doing this creating. I also want to share the downsides because I think please, people don't please. think about that. But there's like so many upsides. Like angel investing is, it's so much That's easier. That's what I was hoping you'd talk about. <laughs> yeah, like most founders would love to have me involved in helping. So that helps a lot. And so I get just like access to a lot of cool founders and companies. That's one thing. And the other is, you know, I just get pings like at least once a day. If it's just someone saying really nice things about how much the stuff I've done has helped them. So that's always nice. And then just meeting, I think meeting a lot of really amazing people through the community, through the founders that I talk to. Like the network has gotten really big and interesting. On the downsides, I have no time off. No pay, you know, no PTO. No one's going to pay me to take time no. off. No 401k matching, no health insurance. Like I just have to go Obamacare, no disability. You know, like if things, if I like get injured, I don't know what happens. Like you just, you know, stop. Yeah. If you can't <laughs> type, well, that's, a, that's yeah. concerning, right? You're like, you're like, I don't know if I can go skiing guys. Like I need my arms. <laughs> so I worry about that a little bit. It hasn't been a problem yet. Like one of the great things, but I always say like where everyone really wants to end up, even when people talk about it, like, I want to semi-retire or retire. It's like, I just don't want to be answerable to someone else's schedule. Like mm-hmm. I, I actually want to dictate my own time and own my own calendar. And I think there's obviously you still have to work, you know, a certain amount of hours a week to do the work that you do. Like you, you control your own time. And there's just something I think magical about like being answerable to your own calendar and not being answerable to someone else's calendar. 100%. That part is amazing. There's this book that he probably read, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a f-. And yeah. <laughs> he talks about how like people think they want just freedom from everything, but it turns out we still want to solve problems and do interesting things. So I actually thought I'd, I was like, I was trying to try to mini retire a little bit. I was like, I'll just do the simplest thing just to make enough money. And that'll be great. But I, I like at this point, I have full-time job hours. I work a lot and it was, it's hard to resist. I think for folks like us, totally is. like it'd be so, we just don't want to sit around and just, you know, check Twitter all day and watch TV. <laughs> we, don't want, we don't want the brain to fade. You know, you gotta, you want to go and do something that helps people, right? You just want to do interesting things and yeah, we'll yeah. end up finding work for ourselves. That's kind of what I've done. I just keep finding like the podcast. Like I don't want to do a podcast. I don't need more work, but it's hard to resist because it's just like, it's a big opportunity and it's interesting and people keep asking you for it. So, well, and, it's, and it's also you collaborative. Know. You get to meet a lot of really awesome people that maybe you don't talk to as much if you're just heads down writing, yeah, right? So right. it's probably a different kind of modality of it working is, too, right? There's another downside of the creator life is like, it's kind of, you're alone, like in the, at least yes. in the newsletter life. And it's kind of fun to work on a team. The other downside I forgot to mention is there's like, people think they're going to create this like viral TikTok video or some amazing post or some amazing podcast and it's just going to go blow up and their life will be so great. But you realize that's just like one thing, one time. And then it fades <laughs> and you're done. No one cares about it again, like a few days later. And you realize it's this never ending treadmill where you consistently have to keep putting stuff out forever. Like, I don't know how you even get off this treadmill. Like, this <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> like a podcast, you can stop because it's ad-based, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, like with of. a newsletter subscription and people are paying for the next year every day. There's an annual plan being bought every day. So at least for a year, I have to keep it going. But like stopping, it sounds really scary because then I lose the income. So I don't really know the exit path for something like this. I don't think about it too much, but, uh, <laughs> but that is one downside is like, you think it's like, cool, I'm going to get a viral video. It's going to be so great. But it, you have to keep doing that for a long time and it's, it gets less yeah. fun. So I will say a lesson there is make sure if you go down this path, work on something that really is interesting to you, that yes. you're curious about, that you really care about versus creating this job for yourself that sucks where you're like writing about, I don't know, Bitcoin all day and 
You're just like, I don't care. Just <laughs> <laughs> trying to scam people. I like yeah. our terrible it, work examples, Bitcoin. It's great. It, it, it is interesting, right? Like we talked about this in an episode before about the creator, for very few of creators, the exit will be some sort of sale because they are the brand. Like Mr. Beast, mm-hmm. you know, apparently got offered a billion dollars for his YouTube channel. And I suspect you can maybe say, oh, maybe he can like get himself out of being the brand. Like Mr. Beast is a brand, but it's not his face. Although it's still very hard to imagine. But that's one thing for creators is like, they are the brand and yeah. you have to, I think you have to be explicit over time if you want to make that into a brand that's not you front and center or like, they'll yeah. always be the brand, but I'm not sure then what my exit is. Maybe don't call Lenny's newsletter if you want to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you're going to have to just sell it to another Lenny. There's one yeah, Lenny yeah. out there. They love the same stuff. They're a billionaire. Let me change their name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Lenny's newsletter. I mean, it's, you, you also underscore the importance that name doesn't matter. The content matters. That's right. Which everybody, everybody, everybody spends like six months coming up for yeah, a name, yeah, yeah, yeah. A name Find the perfect for, for something name. or the perfect domain name. And that does not matter. What you hit that matters is like, hey, no, find something you like, have a process and grind it out. Grind it out. Yeah. Like, yeah, the name came from, I was just signing up for Substack and their default recommendation when you're signing up is like your first name newsletter because I had no plan with this thing. So I'm like, cool, Lenny's newsletter. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's that's a great story. As, as we're closing things out, one last question for me and then Kieran, if you have anything, jump in. It's like, if somebody is listening to this and they've been on the sidelines and they're like, you know, I've been thinking about a newsletter, podcast, like kind of, that's what gives me energy, not my job. Like, what would you tell them to try to persuade them that it's a worthy thing for them to do or to tell them, no, you don't want to do that because it's just going to be a complete miserable grind? This is going to sound obvious, but honestly, it's just do it. Stop thinking about it. Just like totally. write a thing and see what you think. See if you enjoy it. See if people value it. That's the more important part. And like, I will say, writing is like, I don't know, some Hemingway never said this probably, but people attribute it to him that. Writing is easy. You just sit at the keyboard and bleed. And that's how it feels a lot of times. And so it's not going to be easy, easy, but just like all you have to do, just like Substack, you sign up, it's free. You write a thing, you could put it out there. Nobody's going to remember if it sucks. All you need to do is just start, just like write a thing, write that something that you want to get out of your head, mm-hmm. write something you're trying to remember or crystallize and just see how it feels. Is this cool? Do people care about what you're writing? And part of it is just realizing, do I enjoy this? And do I want to keep doing this? And you only know if you start doing it. So yeah. it's like such cliche advice, but I think it's just like, it's so easy to write. You're not going to record a video. That's harder. Just like write a thing, see how it goes. The thing I really took away as well is if you look at Japan and 10-year-olds, hmm. there's a higher percentage of 10-year-olds in Japan that want to be a YouTuber than anything else. Like everyone wants to create a life, but really your kind of points are, it's really the perseverance and the grind. Like everything is a grind. It's just a grind that you choose. And mm-hmm. the other, I think, lesson that's really important for people to take away is what makes great writers great is not what they put on the page, it's what they take off the page, right? Mm-hmm. Like that editing is like so so important. And I think that's a really great takeaway for everyone. And I think to add to that, like introductions, everyone always such long introductions, like just skip the intro and just get right to it. That's something that I've learned also. I love it. This was a great conversation, Lenny. I know you are busy and you're taking time away away from your own creating to come and 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 help us create. So thank you, first and foremost. Absolutely. And everybody should go subscribe to Lenny's pod and Lenny's newsletter. And the, the last thing I want to ask you before we jumped off is like, who else's writing do you love? Like, what are the other newsletters you're reading? Like, what else would you have people take a look at? I always feel worried not mentioning everyone that's awesome. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'll, go well, I'll limit you to three. You just have to <laughs> name name three. And if they don't make it, I'm so, it's okay. What, yeah, whatever, okay. Whatever you think. Noah Smith. He's got a newsletter called No Opinions, which I just learned so much from reading his stuff. He's on Substack. He's actually like right below me in the rankings. So it's like... 
counterproductive to recommend him, but he's that good. <laughs> and then Emily Oster, like family kid stuff is always great. I don't know if you all know her, but she writes incredible stuff on yeah, she's kid great. stuff. So that one is awesome. And she is on Subtech also. And then Tyler Cohen is the other one that comes to mind immediately. He's got this uh, podcast called Conversation with Tyler. He's got a, bo- a blog called Marginal Revolution, I think it's called. And I always just learn so much every time I hear him talk. And he's an amazing interviewer too. Love that. I'm going to go check out Tyler because I'm always looking to be a better interview. Speaking of that though, Lenny, thank you so much. We really deeply appreciate you coming on Marketing Against the Grain uh, today. Thank you so much for your time and we'll talk to you again real soon.